Open your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to continue in the study we've been doing on Sunday mornings, mainly. Dealing with the matter of sanctification. Um, sanctification is the process of making us into what we are eventually supposed to be. Um, salvation is a one-time, instantaneous event. When you put your trust in Christ, then you are reconciled to God. Your sins are forgiven. Um, and you are made anew. You're regenerated. And... Um, so that's a, that all, all three of those things happen at one time when a person puts their trust in Christ. Sanctification is a lifelong process. And it's a process that has a goal that we cannot and will not attain while we're on this earth. Because the ultimate goal of our sanctification is our full maturity, which is we come to the status of a perfect man where we're complete and entire, wanting nothing. That will not happen while we're on this earth. Because as long as we're on this earth, our spiritual man will be inhabited, or our spiritual man will inhabit this flesh. And this flesh will never be perfect. There's nothing about the flesh that can please God. The flesh is our enemy. And we're supposed to battle it daily and the reason you battle it is because it's going to tempt you it's going to coerce you it's going to do everything it can to influence you to satisfy its desires which are exactly the opposite of what God wants and so we have to we have to understand that sanctification is a process that will one day be completed, but it will not be completed while we're on this earth, nor is there anything that we can do in our flesh to help that process along. Just as we could not do anything to bring about our salvation. Our salvation is not by works, and, and, and it's not of anything that we can do. It's not of our flesh. It's not because we made a decision to turn ourselves around. It's not because we decided that we were going to quit doing wrong and suddenly do everything right so that God would be pleased. Because that's not possible. Your flesh cannot please God. So just as your flesh cannot bring about your salvation, your flesh cannot bring about your sanctification. Uh, Paul dealt with that in the book of Galatians because there were those who had trusted Christ by faith, but they thought that somehow in their flesh they could attain a status of perfection. He said, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by means of the flesh? He asked that question. And he called them foolish and said, that's not possible. You cannot attain any standing with God through your flesh either before you were saved or even after you're saved. So sanctification is a lifelong process that has a goal which will not be reached until we're in the presence of our Heavenly Father. 
So how does that, how does that come about? Well, we've been looking at that, Philippians chapter 2. And, uh, and let me just give you the full outline for Philippians chapter 2. Uh, verses 1 through 4 deals with the matter of submission. And it's submitting ourselves one to another and uh, serving one another. Um, uh, verse 3 says, "Nothing. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And he mentions it again in a, a little different way in verse 14. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. But, uh, but verses 1 through 4 deal with submission. Verses 5 through 11, a very familiar passage. Uh, let not this mind be, in, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even unto the death of the cross. A very familiar passage. It deals with sacrifice. The sacrifice of the Son of God to take upon himself the form of a man so that he could be tempted like man, so that he could live as a man and live a perfect life, something we cannot attain, and then die as the perfect sacrifice to purchase for us our salvation so that our sins could be uh, uh, taken care of and, uh, and so that we could be redeemed. Uh, and then verses 12 through 16 deal with the matter of sanctification. That's where we've been looking. And verse 17 through 30 deal with service. But uh, verses 12 through 16, the foundation of our sanctification is found in verse 12, where it says, Wherefore, my beloved, you shall have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's the foundation. That is a matter of obedience. It's a yieldedness to God and, and paying attention to what He says and doing what He says, uh, and, uh, obeying Him. The function of salvation found in verse 13, and this is the key to it all, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. We talked about that. God both instructs our will and gives us the ability to do what he wants us to do. Um, we'll talk about this a little more next week, but, uh, but, but there's a difference between grace and faith. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Uh, it's not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But it's by grace through faith that you're saved. So grace and faith are not the same thing. Here's, here's a very simple way to put it that I think, you know, identifies the, the difference between grace and faith. Faith is the means by which we see. Uh, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then in Hebrews it talks about all these people what they did by faith, they did it because they could see a vision of what God wanted and they trusted Him. They could see a vision of who God is and they knew that He could do what He promised He would do and so they went forth in faith and God did what He said He would do. So faith 
is the ability to see God and to see what he wants us to do and to view whatever circumstances we have that are not clear to us, view them in a way that allows us to move forward with confidence. Grace is the means by which we are able to do what God wants us to do. Faith allows us to see who it is that's in control of our life and, 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 and his power and his ability to work in our lives to accomplish his will. Grace is the means by which we have the ability to do what he says. And, and doing what he says, it's not about our efforts anyway. It's about God doing it through us. Remember, the faith uh, profits nothing. Uh, nothing about the flesh. I'm sorry, the, the flesh profits nothing. There's nothing about the flesh that can please God. So anything we do in our flesh is not pleasing to God, but what we do in our spirit as God works through us is what is pleasing to the Lord. So the, the work of grace in us is God doing through us what we cannot do on our own. Um, so uh, God's, God's will, he, he gives us a, a clear understanding of his will, and then he gives us the ability to do what he wants us to do. That is the function of sanctification. Verse 14 is the form, again, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that's a very practical, uh, a very practical statement that has to do with us getting along. We work together without being, without being, uh, unhappy or without complaining or without, uh, uh, uh being, um, conflicted. Uh, we work together, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Verse 15 is the fruit of sanctification, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So uh, so the fruit of, of sanctification is that we have a good testimony. We live in this world in a way that does not bring reproach upon the name of Christ. And not only that, we do so in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Uh, the more the more vile our society gets, then the greater our opportunity to be a testimony for what's right, and uh, and the greater our opportunity to let our light shine, so that people will see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven, which the Bible says Jesus said we're supposed to do. So that's the fruit of salvation, that we live with a good testimony and we let our light shine. And now we come to the fourth, the fifth thing, and that's found in verse 16, and that is the fulfillment of sanctification. What is the ultimate accomplishment of sanctification? Look at verse 16. It says, holding forth the word of light, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. The fulfillment of sanctification is two things. 
Number one, it's faithfulness. That's consistent, being consistently faithful. And, and it's not just faithfulness, but it's also fervency. And that means that we are eagerly being faithful and eagerly engaging in this. And it is faithfulness and fervency regarding the truth. That's what that phrase means, holding forth the word of life. It is believing what this book teaches and being faithful to it and being fervent about it. Um, over the years, things have changed, obviously, and you're very much aware of it. We live in a society that no longer, um, no longer values the truth. And part of the reason is because they don't understand what truth is. And, and they have changed the, the truth. Uh, uh, we were watching something on the public broadcasting network and it had old songs on it. And there were two songs that, that they had sung back to back that demonstrates what I'm trying to say. One of them was a guy named Hank something. I forgot what his name was, what his last name was. But he sang a song, um, uh, let's see, Please Help Me, I'm Falling in Love with You. Close the door to temptation, don't let me fall through. And then the next verse said, I belong to another whose arms have grown cold. And, um, uh, and, and it goes on to explain, and, and, and then he says, I can never be free. He, he's stating truth. In other words, I made a commitment, I made a promise to have and to hold this person that I married forever. He states that in the song. And so, you've got to stop, get away from me, you're causing me to be tempted and I'm, and I'm, I'm having a problem with this, I need to, I need to get away from it. That's truth. And that's a good thing. That's the way we ought to feel. To, to, to disavow that which we promised earlier in our lives is not a good thing. So they had, they, they, they played that song. And then the next song they played was one that was sung by a guy named Engelbert Humperdinck. You remember that guy? I mean, what a name. Engelbert Humperdinck. And he sang a song, and here was the message of the song. It was, please release me. Let me go. I don't love you anymore. It's the other side of the, and, and they didn't do it intentionally, but, but it, it was a very clear presentation of how this mindset of truth in our society has changed. All of a sudden, Vows that were made don't, don't matter anymore because guess what? I don't love you anymore. I'm, I found, uh, I found somebody else that I love. And, and, and so let me go. Let me, let me go over here, you know, for, for me to live in the lie that perhaps I still love you. That's not a, that's not a good thing to do. And so I want to go over here and, 
love somebody else again. Truth has changed over the years. And, and, and the Bible says that our sanctification, as we grow and we become more like what the Lord wants, more like what we're supposed to be, more like what we're going to eventually be for eternity, then we ought to be more faithful to the truth and more fervent about the truth than we have been in the past. Paul labored faithfully in the truth. Uh, he says, the, the latter part of the verse, uh, that I've not run in vain, neither labored in vain. The labor was his investment. The faithfulness was his consistency in the truth obviously is the scripture. Uh, the Apostle John valued the truth uh, very greatly. Second John, verse number four, he said, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. And verse four of third John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. We as believers have an obligation and we ought to have a great desire to be faithful to the truth, to be fervent about the truth, to hold fast to the truth. And the darker things get in our world, the more bright will our light of truth shine as we stand for that which the Bible says we're supposed to stand. Notice in verse 16 the term, the word of life. Uh, it's a very colorful reference to the gospel. Uh, the word of life is called so, it, it, it's so called because it promises life. You know the word of God is the only path to genuine life. There is no, 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 no lasting life outside of what the word of God teaches. So we have possession of the truth, the word of life. And we're supposed to be faithful to it. We're supposed to be fervent about sharing its message. And, uh, and it is the source of life. Um, there's no other system of religion that promises that kind of life because no other system of religion has the ability to save. They can promise maybe rewards and hope that they get them. Uh, years ago, went to a seminar uh, that was very interesting. And I've shared you with, this with you in the past, but but it had uh, an evangelical preacher there, a Jewish rabbi, and then a a uh, uh, Islamic leader. And the Jewish leader uh, had no hope for eternity. He just he didn't he didn't think there was anything. You know, it was all about what you did on this earth, and that was it, and it was over. When when your life was over on this earth, that was it. Uh, it's hard to understand because they say that on the one hand, but then on the other hand, uh, they have. Uh, Awake, where they bring the body in into the house, uh, at least in the traditional, the most orthodox of the Jewish homes, 
they bring the body into the house and they leave it there for an extended period of time. And, uh, but they go around and cover up all of the mirrors so that you can't see in the mirrors. And the reason for that is because they believe that the soul of the person who died remains with the body for a while and, uh, and they're, they're afraid that the soul will get up and walk around. They'll look in a mirror and see that they're dead. I know that sounds strange, but that is what the guy said. They, they cover up the mirror so that the, 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 the person who is deceased, so that their soul will not get up and look in a mirror and realize that they're dead and that scare them. So that's, that's what the Jews believe. The Islamic guy, said, well, we believe that there is an afterlife, but we have no idea for sure how you get there. We just do the best we can and hope that our God, Muhammad, will will allow us to come into their idea of heaven. And uh, their idea of heaven has to do primarily with satisfying fleshly desires we have on this earth. And so you've got all these guys that are willing to give their lives because they've got all these virgins are going to meet when they get into their heaven, their form of heaven. That's, that's what they, what constitutes life to them. Christianity, this book is the only system of faith who has a clear promise of life for eternity and the kind of life that, that would be beneficial that we would enjoy. And that's the, the, the word of life. I want you to consider three evidences of the fulfillment of sanctification. Number one is the matter of reliability. Holding forth the word of life. A sanctified believer will be faithfully delivering the gospel. And they will live their lives as if they believe that the word of life is true. Um, We have a tendency to talk about heaven as if it's a wonderful place and we want to go there. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But we, there's not anybody here who wants to go right now. We're not quite ready to go yet, are we? We want to stick around as long as we can. Well, that's kind of the way we think. That's, you know, I told you the story about the little boy. The preacher said, how many of you want to go to heaven? And everybody raised their hand except this one little boy. They said, maybe you didn't hear me. How many of you want to go to heaven? And everybody raised their hand except that one little boy. And finally, he couldn't understand it. So he asked him, son, don't you want to go to heaven when you die? And he said, oh, yeah, when I die, I thought you was getting up a load to go right now. Nobody wants to go right now. We want to go when we finally die, but we don't, we don't want to go right now. Does that sound like heaven is a place of, of, a wonder and fulfillment and joy and peace and that where we leave behind every burden that we have on this earth. We sing songs about it. We read about it in Scripture. And that's what we say. And then we turn around and act like, yeah, well, you know, one day, you know, it's kind of like that's the final, the, you know, when you, when you get where you can't live anymore on this earth, then something's got to happen. And I'd rather go to heaven than go to hell. It's almost like it's a last resort. There ought to be, the Bible talks about us looking forward to that with anticipation. 
with an eagerness in our heart, with a longing to get there. The Bible says we're to store up treasures in heaven. We're to set our affection on things above. We're supposed to be looking at our next life as if that's the goal. That's where we're headed for. That's what we're waiting to get to. And, and that's a, that, that ought to be an, a thing that we're eager for. I'm afraid that sometimes we as Christians espouse a desire to be at a place that in reality in our lives we make it look like it's something we, you know, we're, we're ready for it when we have to go. But until then, we want to hang on to what we have on this earth. One of the, one of the, one of the greatest shocks, I think, that is going to come for each of us when we stand before the Lord and we enter heaven's door is the idea that we ever thought that that which we had on this earth was of any value at all. I really believe that's, that's the way we're going to look at it. When my dad died, they gave him too much medication. He went to sleep and they told us they didn't know when he would wake up, but that he would wake up. And, uh, and, and I asked the doctor, uh, with my sister sitting there, I said, can you promise me or can you tell me what is the prospect, because he'd had a stroke, what's the prospect with, if he wakes up of him being able to have the feeding tube that they want to put in removed? And they said, well, we don't know that. When he wakes up, we'll have to give him a swallowing test. Okay, what does that mean? Well, if he can swallow okay, then we can take the feeding tube out. If not, we have to leave it in. Well, the last things my dad told us before we went in the hospital was, whatever you do, I don't want to be kept alive on a feeding tube. And so we had a decision to make as to whether we were going to put the feeding tube in or... And, and, and the doctor said, if you put the feeding tube in, we give him a chance to wake up and to see if he, you know. And, well, what happens if we don't put the feeding tube in? Well, he'll, he'll die because he can't eat. I mean, he's got to have nourishment if he's going to live. My mom had died two years earlier. My dad was living at home by himself. I called him every evening to talk to him. And while I talked to him on the phone, he was in good spirits. He, he, but as soon as I said, well, Dad, i got to go, then everything changed. We'd go down there to visit him, and we'd stay for two or three days. And he was, he was so happy to see us. Everything was wonderful when it came time for us to go. I'll never forget backing out of the driveway and seeing him stand there with the look on his face as he realized he's going to be alone again for however long it, it ends up being. And I talked to my sisters and I said, if we believe that heaven is what we say it is, and that mom's already there, then he's going to be far better off if we let him, let him go to heaven. If we don't put the feeding tube in. Now here's the thing. Because I believe heaven is what I preach it is, I do not believe when I get to heaven and I see my dad, that he's going to look at me and say, I can't believe you guys let me die. 
I don't think that's what's going to happen at all. I think he's going to say, why didn't you let me go earlier? Look, if what we say we believe is true, then we ought to live like it's true. There ought to be in our heart a desire when, you know, when, when, when the Lord gets ready for us to go, but, but there ought to be a desire. Paul said, even so, Lord, come quickly. John said that at the end of, of, of the book of Revelation. He said, even so, Lord, come quickly. That ought to be the desire of our heart. Holding forth the word of life, there will be a, a, a lifestyle that demonstrates that we are looking for that uh, that reality, the, the time in heaven. There's a reliability to holding forth the word of life that makes it real. And that should be an, a natural result of our sanctification. We should not have to make decisions about things. It ought to be that we live as if we are going to be in heaven tomorrow or today, even later. Reliability is one thing. Rejoicing is a, is a, is a consequence of the fulfillment of sanctification. Look again at verse 16. Paul says, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I've not run in vain, neither labored in vain. What is the cause for rejoicing? It's the faithfulness of the Philippian believers. It's the faithfulness of their spiritual lives, the fact that they are living lives that are blameless and harmless. Uh, as the sons of God without rebuke. Uh, and they're, and the shining lights, verse 15 again, the second part of it. Uh, they're shining as lights in the world. They made a difference in their society. So the cause for rejoicing, the faithfulness of the, the Philippian believers, the fruit of the Philippian believers, and the context of rejoicing, that is in the day of Christ. Um, there's coming a day when we're going to stand before him to give account of our works. So what reason when we stand before him will we have to rejoice? I want to be able to rejoice when I stand before the Lord. Now please understand, we talk about standing before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ as if it's a time when we're going to pay for the things that we did on this earth that we should not have done. And we use it Often, we talk about it often in the context of somebody who does something to offend us or something that hurts us, something we know we should not have done, something that is obviously contradictory what Scripture teaches. There are lots of situations like that. I've had it happen in my life over the years. You have too. And we look at it and we think, that person's not going to get away with what they did. Well, the truth is, they are going to get away with it, just like we're going to get away with what we did. And why is that? Because our salvation would not be possible if there was not that option available. If we had to pay for our sin, then the only way we could pay for it is to spend eternity in a lake of fire. But Jesus paid that sin debt, and he paid for every sin. That which I committed before I was saved, and that which I've committed since I've been saved. I don't do it because I want to, but I do things that I shouldn't do. And I think things I shouldn't do, shouldn't think. I say things I should, should, should not say. And we all do, because we're human. 
That's our flesh. And we are not going to face our sin when we stand before the Lord. We will lose rewards because we did not do the things that we that we should have done. We weren't as faithful or as consistent as we, we should have been. And when we lose those rewards, then we will be we will be wanting when it comes time to cast our crowns at the feet of our Savior. By the way, that makes the full circle. Anything that we do that is pleasing to the Lord is done because the Spirit works in and through us to accomplish it. So where who, who gets the credit for having done all those things? Our God does. And when we get to heaven, we're gonna we're gonna understand that. And when we if we get rewards, we're gonna we're gonna give them right back to him because he's the one that deserves them. Paul said there are there's a reward, and his reward, I'm sorry. Paul said, I'm going to rejoice that I've not labored in vain. And, uh, and, and when we stand before him, we want to, uh, be able to rejoice. And then thirdly, there is a reward that I've not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul's reward was a result of his faithful effort. He ran and he exhausted himself. He labored and it was a fruitful effort. It was not in vain. Um, Philippians 4 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Another exhortation. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, talks about a literal crown that we will receive. And, uh, and Paul's admonition, remember 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, be not weary in well-doing. New season you shall reap if you faint not. So what constitutes fulfillment of the life of a sanctified believer? It is faithfulness and fervency regarding the truth. It is not faithfulness and fervency in trying to accomplish fleshly goals. It's not about big crowds. It's not about big buildings. It's not about lots of money. It's not about any of those kinds of things. Our purpose in being here this morning is not so that we can look around and say, all right, we had all these many people and our offering was this big and uh, and there's all these kinds of things that we've got going on right now so that we can tell other people about all these good things. We say the Lord did it, but our goal is wrong if that's what we're, if that's what we're rejoicing in. Because the church is not about building big numbers. Or having lots of money. The church is about disseminating the truth. It's about communicating the truth. It's about, it's about sharing principles that help us to grow, Ephesians chapter four, so that we grow enough and become mature enough that we can distribute the truth to others who need to hear it. So that they can grow. So that they can then distribute the truth to others who can hear it. And, and the church is a self-replicating organism. And we, we, we get new folks in as the Lord sends them and they grow and then, and then more new folks and then they grow and that kind of thing. That's the way it's supposed to work. And it's all about us growing to the place where we 
can serve one another and serve the Lord together. And so faithfulness and fervency regarding the truth because that is the source of our growth. Now remember, Paul is talking about their testimony in a dark world. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said, the chief danger of the 20th century will be, number one, is forgiveness without repentance. Number two, salvation without regeneration. And number three, heaven without hell. And that's where we are. People do not have to see forgiveness as a reason for the Lord to change their lives. They don't see salvation as being about us being renewed. We, we, we're not, uh, um, born again. We, we're not born anew. We don't have new life. It's not about that. It's, it's a, it's a ticket that gets you into heaven is what salvation is. And then heaven is all there is. Hell really doesn't exist. Holding forth the word of life. Faithfulness and fervency to not only share the truth, but to live the truth. Um, the three words on our motto or whatever is loving, learning, and living. That's the goal. That's the goal of our church. That's what it's all about. And it all centers around, revolves around the truth. The truth is found in this book. We embrace it. We believe it. We apply it. We, we make it a part of who we are. And then we live it. And, uh, and that's what sanctification is all about. Eventually, we'll get to heaven and we'll lose this flesh and our spirit will be perfect and we will be with our Father, Heavenly Father, for eternity and we will live a life of sanctification. While we're on this earth, we're making progress toward that as we are willing to yield ourselves to the Lord. It is He that works in us both to will and to do according to His will, according to His good pleasure. Our goal is to be faithful and fervent in embracing and sharing the truth. Let's stand together. Has my nice clothes.